And so as they hand those out, uh, obviously I get to talk about the most favorite topic of every preacher in ever uh, is talking about money and giving, right? Like, it is just the most fun topic. I know all of us are super excited about it. It just lights a spark of joy in our hearts when we hear our pastors are like, yeah, I can't wait to hear what he has to tell me about giving money to the church. It's the best thing ever. Uh, But as we prepare to head into uh, a season of pledging, Uh, for next year and getting our budget situated for next year. Uh, Stewardship and Finance really wanted us to take a moment and kind of just kind of show you where we're at a little bit. And so if you have, every envelope has both a letter uh, from Stewardship and Finance as well as the pledge card. And if you turn it to the back of the pledge card, what you'll see is the 2023 projected Budget. And so what this is, is this is all the numbers that we're taking so far this year and then dividing them by nine and then multiplying them by 12 to get us to our projected budget. This is how much it's going to cost us this year to run the church. And so what you're going to see is there's a, a total at the bottom. So this year we're projected on a budget about $314,000. That's actually uh, 10000 short of what our proposed budget was. We had actually proposed about 325000 for this year. And so we're coming in a little bit short of that. So praise the Lord. We, you know, were able to be a little bit fa- more faithful with what we thought. And we're able to come under budget in some areas, which is wonderful. But you'll also see underneath that number our weekly need. Um, what it actually costs week by week in order to meet that annual budget. And that's $6,040-ish is what it costs every week for us to meet our goal for, or or the budget uh, for this year. And that's a a pretty big number, and that's kind of a, a scary number to think about it, especially when we talked about at the beginning of, or at the end of last year, as we proposed the budget uh, from stewardship and finance to the session, and then the session to the congregation that we were anticipating at working uh, with a $50,000 deficit this year. That we were going to, we knew that we were going to be taking on uh, a little bit more from our projection so that we could do more this year. And, and the reality is we have done a lot. We've done some really amazing things. We were able to uh, hire a children's minister. And if you have taken a moment to see any of the pictures that we've presented over the last two weeks, she's doing an amazing job. Uh, and to be quite honest, we got a lot uh, with her because her whole family uh, is now with us and doing so much uh, in that children's ministry. It's been such a blessing to have Beth. Uh, We've also been able to do more with social media, and we've been able to do more with our online presence this year than we've ever had. About our our, uh, weekly average for online went from about 10 people a week to about 22 people a week. That's amazing. Like, we've we've been able to expand in a lot of areas. But that being said, We also need to face the reality that where we're at financially right now as a church is that our deficit is a little bit bigger than what we anticipated. Our giving is a little bit less than 
what we had hoped it would be going into the end of the year. And so instead of a $50,000 deficit, it's looking to be a little bit higher than that. I'm not going to give any projected numbers because we don't know what end of the year is giving is going to be, but I'm just letting you know right now it's projected to be greater than 50000 And when we started the year with only $100,000 in the bank, that's putting us below that amount to be able to do it again next year and to keep seeing and spending for the growth that we're already seeing. And really the reality is, in the words of one of our stewardship and finance members who I greatly, greatly appreciate, he said that the reality is we're not going to try to finagle anything. The reality is that this is just what it costs to run this church. We could go to the most bare bones uh, budget, and that would be great if we could afford to do that, if we could, you know, cut lots of expenditures. And there are some areas that we're exploring to say, hey, where can we cut so that we can free up some of that so that we're not taking on so much of a deficit? But the reality is we're already working at, at a pretty solid budget, and we're kind of like, yeah, I mean, this is just kind of what it costs to run our church now. It's not as cheap as it used to be. Inflation has hurt us a little bit. And I know it's hurting all of you too. We're not blind to the fact that it's not just hitting the church, it's hitting the people of the church. And it's hurting all of us in an unprecedented way that we didn't really expect. But with that, being said, I, I encourage you to, to read this letter. It was well-written, well-prepared. I'm really thankful for it. I'm really thankful for our stewardship and finance team. I'm thankful for, uh, to Diane for leading that team, for leading that team in, in faithfulness, too, because it's one of the things that I want us to also remember is that we have to trust the Lord. We have to be able to have the faith to believe that God is going to carry us through this. Yes, we need to be wise. We need to be good stewards. We need to take a look at everything. We need to be able to say, where can we cut spending? How can we be better with, with the money that we are given? But also we have to trust and believe that when we approve this budget for 2023, that God, it was a prayerful endeavor. We didn't just sit down and say, oh yeah, that's fine. We took weeks to pray about it as a group and say, no, we really feel like this is what God is leading us to. We really do believe that God is at work in this church and that this is something that we can take on. And when we thought that it might be something we could take on for two years, it looks like we might only be able to do that for one. But now we've got to do something about that going into 2024. We've got to keep believing in God but we also got to say, what can we do in budget? But also, how can we as a church participate more in what it looks like to be good givers? What does it mean to be a good giver? And not just a good giver. If you open your bulletin, you'll see that the title of today's sermon is A Costly Giver. What does it mean to be a costly giver? And so, like I said, every pastor's favorite topic to preach on. But if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open up to Mark chapter 12, 
verses 41 through 44. Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. And if you have a, your own Bible or the Pew Bible, I encourage you to open it with me. But I want you to hear these words from the gospel writer, Mark. And I don't want you to hear them, and I don't want you to hear me and think that I'm saying that you're bad givers. But I do want you to hear the passage, and I, my hope is that it challenges us as givers. How might the Lord be challenging us? Because let me be honest with you, I was very, very challenged when I, heard this, when I read this scripture preparing for this Sunday. I was very challenged by it. Because I'm not as good a giver as I could be. Not, as I, not even as I could be, but maybe as the Lord is calling me as I should be. And so hear these words in the Gospel of Mark. And he, meaning Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the crowd was putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two lepta, which amount to a quadrants. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all those putting money into the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as we come to you this morning and as we hear this word, God, I pray that we would be challenged, but that we would not be put to shame or that we would not feel condemnation from these words. Because, God, your grace is not a work of condemnation. It's not a work of shame. You died on the cross that shame and condemnation would be eliminated for those that believe on your name. But my hope is, Lord, that as we hear your word this morning, and I pray that it is your word, not my own, that I would be but an empty vessel for your Holy Spirit to work through, that as we hear these words, we would be challenged as to what it means to be a costly giver, and not just a giver, but one who enters into costly discipleship with you. What does it mean to come to you and to follow you as you have called us in your gospel? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I'm not going to try to so much preach at you or or make this so sermonic, but, but let it be a reflection of my own personal time in this passage. And as you hear my personal time in it, um, maybe you'll get something from it too. But before we even dive into all the, you know, like the hard stuff, 
I want to point out the funny stuff. If you notice in the passage, at first it says, and he sat down, Jesus sits down opposite the treasury and just begins observing the crowd as they put the money in. And I just want to say to you, I don't sit down and just watch who's putting envelopes into the offering, but could you imagine what that would feel like if every single Sunday, like as you're walking out the door to put your, uh, your en- envelopes into the plates, like if I just sat there and just watched as you put your one, well, maybe giving would go up. Maybe I should start doing that. Maybe Jesus had the right idea as to who should give. No, but could you imagine if that was the case? But actually, it's actually much worse than that. Because it's not just that Jesus sat there to observe, because you notice Jesus knew exactly what she gave. Because in the temple, the way that it would work is that you would bring your offering and there would actually be a treasurer standing there and they would say, what is it that you are giving for and how much are you giving? And then they would announce it to everybody. (laughs) Could you imagine If that's how churches work today, where every single time you went to give your offering, somebody was standing there and saying, all right, well, how much are you giving? And then they announced the congregation, and today, Austin put $2 into the offering plate. My goodness, would we be appalled? That would be crazy. But that's exactly what's happening in this passage is, The amounts are being read out loud. But here's really the challenge. Yes, that's crazy to think about that that's how it worked then. It's not how it works now. What you give isn't anybody else's business. I don't know what you give. The person sitting next to you doesn't know what you give. There's only, I think, like two people in this church that know what you give, and one of them does their best job to not even look at the names as they record it, just so that there's a record so that we know how to give you your tax bill at the end of every quarter and end of every year, so that you know how to, not your tax bill, but your giving statement so that you can have that for your taxes. That's the word that I'm looking for. And so really, there's only one person in the church that really knows everything. But it's because it's their job to know that. And so nobody knows what you give. But God does. The the Lord knows what you give, whether or not It was because it was being read out loud in the temple doesn't matter because Jesus is still Jesus and Jesus is still God and God is still all-knowing the last time I checked. So even as Jesus sat opposite the treasury, as this woman came forward to drop in her small two copper coins, which I love that Mark makes it clear that this would have been equivalent to a quadrants, which, mind you, is one-sixteenth. One-sixteenth of a day's wages. So she wasn't even making and didn't even have a full, a full day's worth of money. And yet it says that she gave everything she had 
and put it into the treasury. But everybody else that was there was so wealthy. In fact, if you back up a few verses, it says, And in his teaching he was saying, Beware of the scribes who want to walk around in their long robes and want respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets, but who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers these will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began watching all these scribes in their ostentatious regalia put in large sums of money into the coffers. And yet Jesus, while observing, says, I don't care how much they gave. She gave more. This poor widow gave more in her two lepta than any of those scribes. And why is that? Verse 44, for they all put in out of their surplus. Their surplus. That's also translated as their Abundance. They gave out of their abundance. Let me put this into some other terms that we've all heard the word tithe, right? And a tithe is to give 10%. Well, for this poor widow, 10% of her two copper coins would have been astronomically small. 10% of the scribes might have been really, really big. Let's actually put that into some days terms, right? And I'm not saying, I'm going to use some really big numbers here just to put it into perspective. But if we walk into the church or somebody walks into the church and they make, say, $100 a week, and so they're tithing 10% of that, $10 a week, that's great. Like, I'm really thankful for that. But if somebody walks into the church and they make a, a billion dollars a year and they're giving a hundred million dollars to the church, which, by the way, nobody is. FYI, we don't have a billionaire, at least as far as I know. But nobody's giving a hundred million dollars to the church. But that hundred million to that billionaire is pocket change. That means nothing to them. And so... They're just giving out of their abundance, out of their surplus. This is frivolous money that I can give away to the church. I can just give this hundred million to the church, and it doesn't really matter for them. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying, is you've got this group of people who have so much money, and they're giving out of their abundance, out of their surplus, what they have left over. Whereas this woman gave everything she had to live on, and Jesus counted that as more. And let me be clear, rich people can give. The scribes could be giving in a way that Jesus would also say is more. 
turn a couple chapters to Mark chapter 14. And while he was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster jar of perfume, a very costly, pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She did a good work to me. Mind you, that nard, that that perfume that cost 300 denarii, a denarii is one day's work in wages. Which means this perfume cost a year's worth of wages and she poured it on Jesus. She broke it out in worship to him. She gave it completely over. And so you can have wealth and still give something that Jesus says is worthy. That he says is more than what others give. And I say all that to set up just this one point. We talk about tithes a lot in the church. And that a tithe is 10%. I don't think or believe that God is calling us to tithes in the New Testament. God is calling us to costly giving. What does it look like to give that it actually costs you something in your life? That you actually have to give something up in order to give more to the church. When I read this passage, I was so convicted. What have I been giving myself first and foremost in my life because it's something I wanted rather than just covering my basic needs so that I would have more to give back to God? And so after reading this passage, so I got paid on Friday. Thank you all. I got paid on Friday, but on Wednesday, when I was starting to work on this, I was so deeply convicted. The first thing I did is I went and I looked at my budget and I started moving everything around and I made two decisions. One, how can I start increasing my giving? And two, I should be giving first from my paycheck before it's the last thing I do once I've spent everything in my paycheck. And so the first thing that happened when I woke up on Friday morning is I went to our online giving portal and I clicked on it and I put in my amount and I clicked send. Because I was so deeply convicted that I'm supposed to be giving my first fruits, not my last fruits. And I was so deeply convicted that it was like, oh, 
I am only giving out of my surplus. What do I have a little, what, what extra do I have at the end that I can give to the church instead of what is it actually going to cost me saying I have to give up something so that I can give a little bit more? It means I have to give up some of my wants, my desires, my pleasures. I have to give up some of the things, and I'm just like, man, I really wish that I could go play a round of golf, but instead, instead of going to play a round of golf at a nice course that maybe costs $60, what if I don't go play that round of golf and then give that $60 to the church? That cost me something. What I don't want you to hear me say is, I want you to give to the point that you can't put food on the table, that you can't pay the bills that you've got. But there is a difference between our wants and our needs. Mind you, the woman in the pastors gave everything she had to live on. She gave above and beyond, not just her wants. She gave all she needs, all of her needs. But how could she do that? Because that's the next thing I just want to look at. How could she do that? She had abundant faith in God's provision. If you really believe that God loves you and that he will provide for you, you can give in a manner that is costly. You can give in a manner that challenges you financially. You can give in a manner that says, you know what? Maybe I don't need to go on that trip. So I can give a little bit more to the church. Maybe I don't need to go buy that Starbucks coffee. So I can give that $5 to the church. Because if I do that, you know what? I really believe that God is going to give back to me. That might not look like some financial gift that he's going to give you more money. I'm not preaching some prosperity gospel. But God blesses your giving. He blesses your sowing. I do believe that. And mind you, I also want to say, sowing isn't always your money. It's your time and your talents. How are you giving your time and your talents to the church in a manner that says, hey, we could actually cut budget areas because people are helping out the church more and we don't need to spend money on those things. I know we're an aging congregation and that gets harder and harder for a lot of us. But it should be costly. Giving up some of our time Instead of going to play a four-hour round of golf, I could be out here cutting the lawn. I could do it. I should do it. If anyone has a lawnmower and wants me to use it once a week to help cut the grass, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Costly giving. The last thing I do want to say comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul writes this. 
starting in verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not standing up here to say, y'all need to give more. I mean, I am, but I'm not. Because I'm not trying to force you into doing anything that you in your heart aren't ready and prepared to do. Because again, I said what you give is between you and the Lord. But the Lord might be challenging you to be more costly in your giving. But when he challenged you to be more costly, don't be challenged by him and then be sad about it. Be challenged and be grateful that God has called you to such an endeavor. Because I got to tell you what, when I felt that conviction on Wednesday, I wasn't sad. I was excited. I was excited because you know what it means for me? I have to put more faith and more trust in God to care for my every need. And you know what? I have a big God who can care for my every need. I do not have to make it all about me and the control that I put on my life in order to have a good life for myself. God's already provided that. I don't have to look far for to, to see God's provision. I don't have to look far to see how God has given me a wonderful church family. I don't have to look far to say, man, you know what? I am blessed because my rent is nothing compared to what other people are having to pay right now. I am, I am so grateful that right now the weather is cool enough that I neither have to run my heating or my AC and my utility bill is half of what it was last month. God might surprise you in the ways that he blesses you back when you start sowing to him. And also, mind you, I got all of those bills after I made the decision that I'm sowing my first seeds. And then all those came in and I was like, this was unexpected. My bills are $150 less than what I thought they were going to be. That's amazing. The Lord will provide if you trust him to provide. He's going to do it. But hear me again really clearly. What you give is between you and God. But he might be calling you to give costly to your life. To challenge you in what it looks like to give. And I encourage all of us to pray about that. What is the Lord calling me to give in a manner that is cheerful and excited because I get to see what God is going to do through it. Instead of in a manner that makes me sad and depressed that I decide to give more to the church and so I have less to do for my wants. It's not always about what we want, but what God wants best for us. And he knows better. That was my challenge to me this week as I read these passages. And as we start thinking about 
pledging and giving toward the church? What does it look like in a manner that God might be challenging you to live costly? To give not just out of your surplus, but in a way that cuts into the things that you want instead of just your needs. He's good. I can't tell you how many times I've heard testimonies, even from people in this church, where they're just like, yeah, I really felt like the Lord was telling me to up my giving. And then out of nowhere, literally the next week, I got a phone call and my job said, hey, (laughs) we're actually giving you a pay increase. (laughs) And it was the exact amount that they felt like God was calling them to then give. And God just blessed them. How much is he going to be willing to bless an entire church that also lives costly? It's willing to challenge itself to come together and to give in worship of him and for the purposes of his kingdom. I think he could do a lot. He can do more with our money than we can do with our money, by the way. Because it's all his anyway. And so if he just wants to make money appear out of thin air, he can do it. But we have to be faithful with what we're given first and give it back to him. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, I know that this is tough, Lord. Honestly, I <laughs> it's not my favorite topic. But Jesus, you talked about money more than almost any other subject you, you preached on. Money was a big deal. And Lord, I feel that as somebody that knows and has heard those words from Jesus says, you cannot worship both God and money. Man, Lord, there are weeks that I fall into that trap and I care more about what I want than what I can give. I put more faith in the money that is in my bank account than I put faith in you. But Lord, you challenge me to put faith in you first. To give costly. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would also humble ourselves to the place and say, Lord, we trust you. We do trust you with this church's finances. We trust you with our bank account. We trust you with everything. We give it over to you and we pray that we would loosen the grip more and more to see what you can do more and more. God, we love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.